I'm Bob Cudmore, and you're listening to the Historians Podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the program Christopher Kelly. How you doing, Chris? Good. Great to be with you, Bob. Chris Kelly is the former chairman of Chiron Corporation, a retired television executive. He's had a lifelong passion for military history. And today's topic is the book Italy Invades, How Italians Conquered the World, uh, co-authored with Stuart Laycock, published by Book Publishers uh, Network, uh, came out this year, 2016. This is the third volume in a series that started in 2014 with all the countries we've ever invaded about Mr. Laycock's homeland of Great Britain, was followed by Kelly and Laycock as authors of America Invades uh, 2015. Uh, As you explain in in the introduction, uh, uh, Chris Kelly, you say that Italians are literally and figuratively an outgoing people. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, Italians have really gotten around the world. I mean, there have many. There have been many, of course, Italian adventurers and explorers. Uh, Christopher Columbus, of course, we all know, uh, uh, coming to to North America in the 1492. Uh, Marco Polo going to China. Uh, the but others as well. I mean, Giovanni Caboto uh, was John Cabot, uh, who sailed for England, but was actually Italian. Uh, exploring up to Canada as well, so so you have these uh, these Italian explorers who went all over the world, but you also and you also have this kind of outgoing uh, disposition that Italians have. Um, I mean, the, from the Romans conquering mo- uh, mo- all of the Mediterranean and much of the the world and during their time, uh, to uh, even to Ferrari selling uh, selling their cars in China today. Certainly, um, the Romans f- figure largely in in your book. I mean, that really was a, a, a remarkable period. Uh, it, you said well, they they did control around the Mediterranean, but much of what was then the known world or the world known to the Romans, they conquered. How'd they do that? Uh, the Romans had an amazing and incredibly efficient uh, uh, military. Imperial machine for waging war and turning the the peoples that they'd conquered into Roman citizens, transforming them into the and and there were of course some benefits for becoming Roman citizens. For I mean, for one thing was literacy. I mean that uh, the Romans offered literacy. They offered roads. They offered better hygiene. They offered law, uh, rule of laws. Uh, so there are many advantages. Uh, to to becoming Roman uh, for those who were conquered, uh, you know, assuming that you survived the actual conquering. Uh, but so the Romans did really get around. I mean, two thousand years ago, Romans were fighting in Iraq. Uh, they conquered most of Britain, and of course, all around the Mediterranean, all of North Africa. Uh, they had a kind of a we counted by our count. Uh, 25, about 25%, about a quarter of all the countries in today's world were conquered by Romans, even though the Romans were unaware of, of, of three continents of North, South uh, America, and Australia. And uh, some of the Romans, like uh, the great Julius Caesar, left a written record. I mean, uh, you know, like all, uh, camp right. conquered France, you know, all of Gaul divided into three parts. When sure, he comes back exactly. into Italy, Alia Yacta Est, you know, it's the, he's crossing the, the Rubicon to try to take control in, in Rome. So it, right. it became great literature. 
Right. They, they, they definitely, I mean, the, the victor writes the history, and certainly the Romans wrote the history. Uh, I mean, Caesar personally wrote his commentaries, and, and they, I mean, his commentaries are used by military institutions to this day. I mean, places like West Point and other military institutions around the world still use uh, the text written by Julius Caesar uh, to teach the military science. And and of course there are <clears throat> deep co- uh, connections between the Romans, the Roman world, and the United States of America. I mean that the fact that they had a republic, uh, and of course we have a republic. That that they had a senate, and we have a senate. And the fact that they used an eagle as their icon, as their as, as symbol, and the United States, of course, it does as well. Again, uh, no one can doubt the military prowess of the uh, Romans, but uh, you say that 20th century Italians get maybe an undeserved poor reputation uh, for military uh, skill, uh, based on the fact that Italy was on the losing side in the Second World War. Right. I, I think that's true, and that's really one of the major reasons why we wrote the book, is is because uh, I think that there has been an unfair perception of Italian military prowess based on their uh, poor performance during World War II, and there is no doubt that that World War II was, you know, pretty much a disaster for the Italians. It, it became, in effect, a civil war for the Italians, fighting on both sides of of the war ultimately, and uh, and of course the country was bombed and and Mussolini was defeated. But the but I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the Italians have had this much richer uh, hist- military history going back to the Romans, but also in- including. Garibaldi, including uh, Napoleon, the Napoleon's Italian connections and all of that, and and I mean, for instance, even in the 20th century, in World War One, at the end of World War One, it, Italy was one of what was called the Big Four countries, and the Big Four were the United States, France, Britain, and Italy. Uh, so they were, you know, accounted at, at a at a higher rate than than their World War Two performance would might indicate. And there's uh, so much uh, history that came out of Italy. Uh, One little image is a minor point, I suppose, in the scheme of things. But uh, one of the popes had a machine gun, you said, or in defending the papal states. That's right. That's kind of a curiosity we included in the book, and I have a picture of it too. I refer to it as the the Pope's machine gun. It was in fact a Claxton gun, which is a prototype of a machine gun that fires twenty five caliber slugs, and it was uh, so. And it was used at the San Giovanni Gate in. 1870, by the armies of the Pope, the papal armies, to defend Rome from an attack by an Italian army, uh, which came in at that time. This is at the time of the Franco-Prussian War, when the French garrison had just left in order to help to defend their homeland, uh, leaving uh, the uh, Rome vulnerable to attack. And the Italians were interested in making Rome the capital of of Italy, which, of course, they did following 1870. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this uh, in passing a few minutes ago. Napoleon Bonaparte is uh, connected to Italy? Right. That's an interesting uh, aspect that we brought up, you know, repeatedly because, of course, Napoleon got around, went, invaded many countries, invaded Russia, invaded Spain, uh, Egypt, and so forth. But uh, and Napoleon had interesting uh, uh, Italian connections. He was e- ethnically Italian. Uh, he had been born on Corsica in 1769, but only the year before, in 1768, Corsica had itself been sold by the Republic of Genoa to France. 
And so both of his parents were Genoese, in effect, and he grew up speaking Italian. He had Italian uncles. He later became, uh, was crowned king of Italy in uh, the Duomo in Milan, and many Italians followed him on his conquests around Europe. Uh, so, and he also, if you think about his name, Napoleon, the name Napoleon mm-hmm. is really two Italian words. Uh, Napoli, it means Naples, and Leone means lion. So it's Lion of Naples, which doesn't sound particularly French to me. <laughs> um, close to home to Italy is uh, Austria. Uh, you write that they share a border, but they also share a lot of violent history. I do. I mean, that uh, Austria and Italy were, uh, in a sense, uh, what my, my great-grandfather in his memoir called hereditary enemies, uh, which doesn't sound totally politically correct today, but, but there is some truth to it. I mean, that the Austrians and Italians fought many, many times. Um, I mean, even going back, I mean, Marcus, uh, uh, let's see, yes, it was, uh, no, not Marcus Aurelius. Yes, Marcus Aurelius was actually uh, died near Vienna, where Vienna is, to the site of Vienna today. So you had the Romans fighting in Austria. You had battles between the Aust- Austrians occupied much of northern Italy for many, many years. And when you had the final unification of, of Italy, the modern state of Italy, uh, they had that had to be preceded by uh, defeats of the Austrians uh, in, at battles such as at like at Solferino and Magenta uh, in the 19th century to drive the Austrians out to create a unified uh, Italian state. Mm. Also, you uh, write there, is there, you, there are many connections between Italy and the United States, but in terms of, of the military or, or invasions, there was an Italian at the Battle of the Little Bighorn? That's right. Uh, I think this was one of the things that might be especially interesting for for folks, uh, for Americans. Uh, Giovanni Martini, who became known as John Martin, uh, was Custer's bugler at the Battle of Little Bighorn, and he was the one who carried Custer's final message uh, out, uh, which is reproduced in the book. I have a picture. The actual message is in the West Point at the West Point Museum. Uh, in at the in, near the uh, U.S. Military Academy at West Point, and it uh, so as a result of that, and he and Giovanni Martini was one of six Italians, not not Italian Americans, but actual Italians, who served with the Seventh Cavalry, and he uh, so he carried the message out. As a result of that, he survived the battle in 1876, and he was uh, later actually killed in 1922 after being in Brooklyn after being hit by a beer truck. Oh dear. So, we all have to go sometime. I guess I guess we do, but <laughs> yeah. so but the, what he was like a soldier of fortune. I mean, is, is that um, some, well, he was he was yeah. a soldier in the Italian army and we fought for Piedmont before as a young man, and then he emigrated to the United States and joined the U.S. Army, and then fought with uh, with the Seventh Cavalry and with Custer. We're talking with Chris Kelly, who along with Stuart Laycock, their latest book is called "Italy Invades: How Italians." Uh, conquered the world. Um, you write that uh, Italy even has somewhat of a connection to the distant Seychelles Islands in the Indian Ocean. What's going on there? Uh, with the the connection with the Seychelles, I mean, I, it would be mainly a naval connection. I mean, that there were uh, many uh, Italian it was uh, submarines, for instance, in World War II that, that fought really almost all over the world. There were Italian submarines in the Caribbean. Uh, there were some Italian submarines that even made it into the Pacific theater. 
some of the last uh, shots of World War II were actually fired by an Italian submarine uh, that had made it all the way to Japan, for example. So, so you have uh, this kind of phenomenon of, of uh, Italians get, being involved, uh, not just in the places where you'd expect, like European countries in the Mediterranean, but also uh, into to the Philippines, to to uh, to North North and South America, and really all over the world. You say that Italians uh, fought in the Battle of Britain. I mean, uh, on the water, or well, or in the air, or this, they were the Italian airmen that fought uh, during the battle. I mean, the Battle of Britain, of course, is seen as as a battle between the Luftwaffe and the RAF. Uh, this is in the summer of 1940. That that and the the victory by the British prevented an, a German invasion, but there were. Italy at that time was allied to to uh, Mussolini's Italy was allied to uh, Germany, and there were Italians. There was an Italian unit that I think they were based in Belgium that fought in uh, during the Battle of Britain. And there, for instance, if you visit the um, the Royal Air Force Museum in in the UK in London, uh, you will find a CR forty two Falco which is a, a biplane that was uh, flown by the Italian Air Force during the Battle of Britain. And I think it, it developed engine troubles. This particular plane did, and it ended up landing in the U.K., which is why it's preserved and why you can find it today in, in London. Mm-hmm. And before uh, World War II, uh, Italy was involved in fighting in Ethiopia. In fact, as the other European powers, Italy had colonies in Africa, right? Uh, yes, they did. I mean, they, the Italian uh, Italy was relatively, of course, was relatively late becoming a country. It was really in the 1870 that Rome was added that we we mentioned with the Pope and the Pope's machine gun. But so, but after that, Italy. I mean, there was a very kind of high um, imperial phase, and in, by 1914, for instance, every country in Africa, with the exception of two, were under European control. Um, and those two are, you know, uh, Liberia and Ethiopia, and but every and everywhere else were some European overlord, and there were uh, Italians in places like Libya today. What what is Libya today? Um, so, so you had uh, it definite Italian influence, and Ethiopia and the Italians fought in Ethiopia in the 1930s, and actually they fought earlier at the close of the there was the Battle of Ottawa, in the at the end of the. 19th century, which was actually an, an Ethiopian victory over the Italians, which mm. we mentioned in the Ethiopia chapter as well. But uh, ultimately, in Ethiopia, did not uh, I mean the Italians had to pull back from there? Yeah, well, yes. The uh, in the 30s, 1936, Mussolini invaded uh, Ethiopia, and he did so in a particularly brutal way. I mean, he uh, they were involved with gassing the Ethiopians from aircraft and using technology uh, to, to, uh, to uh, subdue resistance in Ethiopia. I mean, Badoglio, who was the, field, the Italian field marshal, has said that uh, Mussolini will have Ethiopia with or without the Ethiopians. So it was, I mean, I think, uh, you know, definitely a particularly brutal chapter in, the, in, in Italian military history. And back to the to the Romans, uh, in terms of Italian, I don't know, uh, maybe innovation in uh, warfare. Uh, the Romans uh, pioneered a lot of the military arts. I mean, they 
even though they didn't have gunpowder, I mean, they basically used artillery, right? They hurled large stones at uh, settlements or opposing armies. And they came up with methods of, uh, you know, attack that were, you know, as you say, are still studied today. They were uh, remarkable engineers, remarkable in terms of siege craft. Uh, they developed things like ballistas that could throw, you know, uh, large stones and things at a at an enemy fortification or city uh, <clears throat> they were it wasn't that romans were you know stronger or bigger or stronger than other people of the of their contemporaries but they were organized for war and they were and their whole nation was was uh organized along the lines of being able to fight uh and the way that they transformed the, the country the uh, parts of the world that they conquered into uh, loyal subjects of the empire was uh, a amazing kind of transfer the way that they turned the whole empire into kind of a, a fighting unit if you will um, was was I think a, a remarkable uh, you know military achievement I mean the fact that the Romans were almost undefeated for a period of span of roughly 500 years um, when they Except for, of course, when they fought each other, which I mean, they did engage in numerous civil wars, of course, as well during that time. Now, in our country this year, there's a lot of talk about a wall on our southern border with Mexico, and in the Romans built, I, I understand from your book, maybe even more than one wall in England to kind of isolate Scotland. That's true. They built Hadrian's Wall in the second century, Emperor Hadrian, who was actually from what is today Spain. <clears throat> but he, uh, in the second century, they, the empire went defensive. And so instead of con- deciding to continue to add to the empire, they decided to consolidate and say enough is enough. And we're going to try to hold the line here. They built this wall. Cause it's a, and Hadrian's Wall runs 73 miles, roughly from Newcastle to Carlisle in northern England and built of stone. It took. It was built in a, over the course of at least six years by about 15,000 men, three Roman legions that uh, built the wall. And surprisingly, some of it still exists to this day. I mean, even though, you know, we are, here we are over a thousand, well over a thousand years since that time. And you can walk along it. I happened last summer to walk along it with my son. It's a UNESCO his, historical site today. And it's a remarkable way to uh, to experience and be in touch with uh, with ancient history. Hey, but, uh, but you're but you're right that 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 they're now building a wall is in the news today, and uh, the Romans did not, as far as I know, get the picks to pay for the wall. I see. Yes, I was going to say they didn't get them to do that. Uh, you mentioned your your son. Do you have any family connections to Italy? I do. <clears throat> I'm what you call uh, IBM. I'm uh, Italian by marriage, uh, so <laughs> I've been Italian by for 21 years, so to speak. Uh, so that's my my direct connection to Italy, and I I, I uh, enjoy traveling there. Have have had great fun, and many of the pictures photographs were from from travels through Italy and, and around as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another uh, you know, country that's always in the news now, a superpower today, uh, is Russia. And you say it, the Italians invaded Russia three times? That's right. You have at least uh, three times that Italian forces have invaded Italy. Um, they invaded you mean West invaded Poland. Russia, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not, yes, invaded Russia. And so they invaded Russia three times, first with the uh, Napoleon's armies during his invasion in 1812, the famous disastrous campaign in, in 1812 that, that really 
uh, wrecked the Napoleonic Empire. Um, the, the next one would be during the Crimean War, where there were about 15,000 uh, Piedmontese soldiers that participated, along with the French and the uh, British, uh, fighting against Russians in uh, the Crimea. And, and then finally, with uh, what was what's called Operation Barbarossa, which was Hitler's invasion of, our, of, of the Soviet Union in 1941, Operation Barbarossa actually has an Italian name, uh, which means you know uh, is named after an emperor who was uh, emperor literally means red beard. Uh, so so you have and that was in fact the largest invasion in the history of of the world was Barbarossa, and so that that the largest invasion in the history of the world has an Italian name. As well, mm. and Italians were part of the of the force. That's correct. That the Mussolini contributed uh, as significant forces. I mean, there were uh, over a hundred thousand Italians uh, serving uh, in in the Soviet Union during the, the during that that period. And on the other side of uh, you know to, to Germany and Italy in the in the war with the United States, there were many Italian Americans who fought. If, for the American side. That's right. That's one of the other things that's interesting about World War II is that during World War II, you had about one in 12 American servicemen were of Italian heritage, which is something we've brought up in the book, too. I mean, that there's some who are very well known. I mean, John Bassalone was featured in a TV series by called The Pacific by Spielberg, uh, and he was a Marine who served on Guadalcanal and won the Medal of Honor and then was later killed on the first wave at Iwo Jima. Uh, and he was from Raritan, New Jersey. And there's a photograph in the book of a statue of, of uh, John Bassalone and, uh, in Raritan, New Jersey. And they celebrate mm. that with uh, John Bassalone Day every year, I'm told. Mm. Now that you, uh, you certainly were involved in or you read that, that first book about Great Britain and its invasions, and you're a co-author of the book on America and its invasions, and now... Uh, Italy is the, is the subject. What is, what's important about this? What what do you what, what have you learned from studying how these uh, countries have uh, gone to war in so many places? Well, I think the thing is that uh, invasions, of course, are actions, and actions have consequences, and so uh, and. That, that these invasions have been consequential for the rest of the world. Uh, for instance, I mean, there were many Italians who served during the the Civil War, uh, the American Civil War, and the for instance, Garibaldi was almost recruited to the by Lincoln to serve as a commander of the Union Army, although it broke down because. Garibaldi, being something of a revolutionary, wanted immediate emancipation of the slaves, which Lincoln was not willing to do until 1863. But, but, uh, but that you had, but there was one Italian officer uh, who served in the Union Army, who later ended up uh, becoming the uh, consul to Cyprus, and there he started collecting things, and he uh, ended up coming back to New York and founding the Metropolitan Museum. Um, and so, and was the was the first director mm. of the Metropolitan Museum. His name was Luigi Palma de Cisnola, but he was a Union uh, cavalry commander. So, I mean, there you have a, a consequence of Italians fighting is the Metropolitan Museum, and uh, and of course there have been many other consequences to Italian invasions, and of course to American invasions as well. In uh, the book Italy Invades, you have an appendix 
featuring a journal entry by your great-grandfather, Thomas Tylston Wells, written uh, uh, during a vacation he took to Europe when World War I was breaking out? That's right. Uh, yes, he, I, I, I received this document from, uh, uh, from my aunt, actually, who lives in Albany, New York, and, uh, and it was, it was a, do- a family heirloom, a document that had been kind of just gathering dust on a shelf for 100 years, and it's called An Adventure in 1914, and I, do, I offer an excerpt from his experience in, at the end of Italy Invades, and we're actually preparing to bring the full uh, uh, journal out uh, in the fall of this year, uh, along with accompanying photography, because I kind of retraced the steps. I mean, he was a New York lawyer who was traveling in Europe uh, with his family, his wife, and two kids in the summer of 1914. And he was just on a hiking expedition and going through Switzerland and Austria and so forth with his family when World War I broke out. And he uh, had various adventures. He was actually briefly arrested, uh, accused of being an Austrian, uh, a Russian spy, which he wasn't, and uh, threatened with immediate execution. And he managed to, uh, of course, talk his way out of that. But that's that will all be in in the in that book. Hmm. That is, that is something. Um... And then that new book will be out next year, you believe? Uh, this an, an Adventure 1914 as a book will be out uh, in the fall of 2016, okay. roughly October, I think. And not to get too far ahead of the story, but your next uh, kind of quote-unquote invades uh, book will be called America Invaded, All the Times That America Has Been Invaded? That's right. With, with America Invades, we looked at every country in the world and wrote a chapter on every country, just as we did with Italy Invades, too. Uh, but with America Invaded, we're going to be writing a chapter on every state in the Union and talk about how, for instance, uh, uh, New York was invaded. And of course, New York was invaded you know, many times and has a complex military history. But from the, I mean, the Native Americans to the Dutch to um, the British and the French and and uh, and even you know uh, German submarines off the off the coast of of Long Island and New York City during World War II, etc. So, so we're going to be talking about domestic invasions, whereas before we were, of course, we're talking about America's going abroad. So at the end of the day, you'll have kind of a 360-degree view of, of American military history um, at, at home and around the world. Huh. Uh, do, do you go into the interior? I mean, or state by state? I, mean, I can't imagine like that Kansas was invaded, or, or maybe it was. Well, Kansas, and of course, you had bleeding Kansas, and and the before the Civil War, and the and so Kansas. I think you probably had perhaps some raids from the Confederates uh, during the Civil War. You had conflicts with Native Americans. Yeah, yeah you have. Uh, we have, we found uh, some form of conflict in in all fifty states that to to be able to discuss in in that book. How about that, um, and in the book uh, Italy invades. You've mentioned, uh, and with this, we have about a minute left. You've mentioned Garibaldi a few times. He was the k- kind of uniter of of Italy in the 1800s. 
Right, yes. He was, he's a great hero of Italian patriot and hero. You can find his statue in almost every Italian city. But also, I mean, if you go to Gettysburg uh, as an American and visit the f- battlefield there, you'll find a, a monument to the, the Garibaldi Guard, that, which was the New York 39th, um, which is at Cemetery Ridge, because you had a lot of Italians who were inspired by Garibaldi who served in the Union Army during the Civil War. So, but but Gar- and Garibaldi lived on. He lived on Staten Island briefly. He he lived and fought in South America, um, and you know really had an amazing kind of career. And he was again an example of an outgoing uh, Italian, to be sure. Christopher Kelly and Stuart Laycock are authors of Italy Invades: How Italians Conquered the World. It's published by Book Publishers Network. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks very much, Bob. Appreciate it. Chris Kelly uh, joining us on the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.